Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to this month's Chess Podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the host of the Chess Podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really great conversation on a pragmatic trial on the implementation of lung cancer screening using a shared decision-making tool. Today as our guest, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Paulina Kukariva. Paulina, can you introduce yourself? Of course. Hi, Dominique. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. I'm thrilled to be here and to share our research with the chest um, subscribers and other listeners. My name is Polina Kuhreva. I am an assistant professor of biomedical informatics at the University of Utah. I'm also evaluation director of the Reimagine AHR initiative. Reimagine AHR is a small academic initiative based at the University of Utah we are a vendor of clinical decision support interventions, and our solutions are integrated with electronic health records. And we design these solutions to improve preventative care and to promote joy while using EHRs. Great, thanks for your introduction. And uh, today we'll be discussing lung cancer screening, which is a really important topic given the large number of patients that are dying of lung cancer. Maybe you could share for us why you thought this topic was so important Mm -hmm. and why you decided to investigate shared decision-making. Yeah, I agree. I think lung cancer screening is very important and timely problem. Uh, as you mentioned, the mortality rates are very high. It's actually number one reason of cancer death for both men and women in the United States. And early detection is very important because lung cancer often presents with minimal or no symptoms at early stages. So it's difficult to detect without uh, screening. And uh, at early stages, uh, lung cancer is more treatable and potentially even curable. Uh, so early detection increases survival rates. Uh, but lung cancer screening doesn't need to be done for everyone. There are some populations which are at particularly high risk for lung cancer screening, particularly the individuals with significant um, history of smoking are at high risk. So USPSTF or U.S. Preventative Service Task Force has a great big recommendation for screening these individuals with significant history of smoking. Specifically, currently, they recommend screening individuals with 20-plus pack years history who quitted no more than 15 years ago. So it's important to do this early screening. And fortunately, there is this relatively new method called low-dose computer tomography, imaging scans, and uh, these scans um, have less radiation that, than normal CT scans. Um, so this, this method could be used. Unfortunately, however, the rates of lung cancer screen remain very low for eligible patients. In most states, they're below 10% of eligible patients. And lung cancer screening also provides this opportunity for shared decision-making because it's important to communicate individual risk of lung cancer screening to patients. 
depending on whether you smoke 20 pack years in your life or 40 pack years, um, there could be a huge difference in risk, which can actually change a patient's decision to elect or decline screening because screening itself also can have some negative effects, uh, such as increased anxiety and, um, then, um, additional testing and, um, biopsies. And uh, on top of that, NCQA is now working on a new hideous measure for lung cancer screening. So I think uh, lung cancer screening is relevant for patients as well as for providers and for public health. That's a really good introduction. So maybe you could explain to our audience, why is the uptake of low-dose uh, cancer, lung cancer screening, mm-hmm. uh, why is it so low in the United States? I mean, it's incredible that there's so many people who are dying of lung cancer, yet uh, the screening for it is less than 10%, as you said. What are the barriers? And how does shared decision-making impact that? Is shared decision-making an, a barrier to getting good lung cancer screening, or does it help lung cancer screening? I think um, shared decision-making might be a barrier in terms of adoption because um, providers are very busy. Provider in general has 15 minutes to complete a visit and the patients who are eligible for lung cancer screening are usually older patients with a lot of other comorbidities. It's really hard to find time for detailed shared decision-making, which is uh, recommended by USPSTF and required by CMS for reimbursement. So it's hard to find time. And uh, I think if shared decision-making was more streamlined and there was um, decision aids available to make this process um, less time-consuming, their adoption rates would increase. For example, other screenings which are widely adopted, such as breast cancer, colorectal cancer, they are usually they usually don't require shared decision making at all. Great. So let's uh, jump into your study. Um, why did you decide to perform the study? Um, it was a pragmatic trial. Why did you mm-hmm. perform this trial, and what was what were your study aims? Of course. So as I mentioned, the imaging EHR is. Uh, vendor of clinical decision support and we thought that uh, lung cancer screening was a perfect use case for our skill set. We designed a couple of clinical decision support solutions including physician patient prompts to identify eligible patients and it's not that easy to identify these patients because as I mentioned there are specific requirements for smoking history, 20 plus pack years, 15 years since quit or less and uh, when a patient comes to provider office, provider has no way to know if they meet this criteria, which actually might be another reason for lower adoption this more sophisticated criteria. For other screenings, oftentimes uh, this uh, Identification criteria just age, so it's really easy to streamline adoption and implementation. But in this case, there are these more complex criteria, and we thought that our CDS tools could be used to identify patients automatically and provide them prompt to remind physicians to do this screening. And on top of that, we also thought that we can create a more sophisticated shared decision-making app, which would automatically pull all the relevant data elements from the electronic health record and um, 
show the results to provider, all that without leaving the electronic health record. So we saw the opportunity, we decided to take it, develop the tools, and then we implemented these tools at the University of Utah Health because we believe that it's important to increase the rates of low-dose CT ordering and completion. So your goal was to improve uh, lung cancer screening. How did you go about designing your study? Uh, maybe for our audience, you can tell us um, what did you do before the intervention, what did you do after the intervention, how did you record your data, and how did you look to improve previous studies uh, that had dealt with this topic? Mm -hmm. So this is actually the first study of um, HR-integrated what's called everyday shared decision-making or kind of this short, brief shared decision-making. Um, so how um, how did we go about it? As I mentioned, we have developed the tools before implementation. Then we secured all the approvals from the governance, including clinical decision support committee uh, and community physicians group. And this study also merged nicely with the larger lung cancer screening program, uh, which was underway at this time at the University of Utah. So after we had the leadership approval and designed the tools, we um, turned them on. And unfortunately, we were not able to use randomized control trial design. Um, in general, randomized control trials are considered the golden standard of uh, pragmatic clinical trials. Uh, but in our situation, since we use what's called health maintenance in EPIC, um, which is a model to implement preventative care, the limitations of the electronic health record did not allow us to do randomization within University of Utah Health Clinics, even though we have 30 clinics. And actually, it wasn't making much sense to do randomization because some providers work in several clinics and it would have been confusing to them if the tools were available in one clinic but not in another. So that would actually decrease patient safety. So at the end, in terms of study design, we decided to go with pre-post study. We just turned it on and waited for nine months to see if the screening rates will go up. And what would the clinicians see um, when they logged into the computer? So they'll be sitting at their desk, uh, the patient would come in, or mm -hmm. even before the patient come in, what would they see pop up on their screen, or would they? Mm -hmm. what were the prompts, and what did they have to fill in uh, based on those uh, prompts? Yeah, so nothing really pop-ups the screen. We are big opponents of what is known as a BPA in EPIC, which is interruptive alert. So all our tools were integrated in a non-interruptive fashion. So on the side of the screen, there is care gap session where all the needed screenings are listed and lung cancer screening was listed as one of those care gaps. Uh, after clipping, uh, clicking on the health maintenance model, providers would get additional information specific to the patient and information on how to open the app. So they would, after that, during the visit, open the app, and the app looks just like the part of electronic health record with all the data on the patient available, as well as um, visualization showing individual patient risk of lung cancer screening and the benefits 
And this screen could even be turned to the patient to show them a pictogram of how many people will be saved using lung cancer screening out of a thousand patients just like this one. So that, that's what providers would see uh, when they use our tools. Okay, so you went ahead and turned the app on, and then nine months later, you went and analyzed the data. So maybe you can share with us what was what were your key findings? What did you find after you uh, implemented um, uh, the, this alert? And how did you interpret your findings? Um, of course. So it was actually not that easy to analyze the data. Um, in general, data analysis using what is called Clarity Database is uh, very involved. So first we had to characterize um, CT orders and then the order could be placed, you know, and canceled. So we had to go through multiple iteration of the analysis to actually understand what was going on on the back end. Uh, we also needed to understand the data from health maintenance uh, because there are many ways to modify um, the health maintenance model when patients do not elect screening, when provider wants to, for example, modify the time which it takes until the next reminder. So we have spent a lot of time analyzing the data, but in the end, I think we, we clearly understand what happened. And what happened was a huge increase in the rates of screening. So it went from under 10% to over 20%, and the rates of screening increased by 20 percentage points. So we were surprised and happy to see such positive results. Um, there were some drawbacks as well. The use of the shared decision-making app was not as high as we hoped. And um, as I mentioned, since our, all our tools are non-interactive, providers should, uh, could still place the order without using the tool. And oftentimes, I assume because they're so busy, they just went ahead and placed um, the order. And we are not sure um, uh, they, what they did for sure decision-making. Maybe they used some outside resources, such as um, a website, which provides a similar shared decision-making support. So it was really fascinating, your data. And there's... Uh, so some would say there's two ways of interpreting this. Some would say, um, first of all, only 7% of patients who are eligible got a low-dose cancer screening order, which is really low. Um, and yes, it increased to 27%, uh, but mm -hmm. it still started off really low. Um, and then of the ones that had this uh, low-dose uh, CT order placed initially, 7%, only 4% um, actually underwent screening, so that's almost a halving. So there seems to be a big gap between placing an order and actually getting the CAT scan done. That was mm -hmm. pre-intervention. And then post-intervention, there definitely was an increase, as you said, fourfold, 7% um, to 27% to get the low-dose CT order. But even then, there was a, a decrement where only 18% mm -hmm. or two-thirds of those patients who had the order placed actually got the CAT scan ordered, uh, who actually got the CAT scan done. So maybe you could dive into that for us. Why do you think so few people are getting the orders? Why do you think that after they get the order, um, so few of them actually end up getting the CAT scan done. Yeah, I agree. We were also very surprised to see that only 65% of patients had this follow-through on the order which has been already placed. 
We have not done additional research to understand the patient motivation, but our assumptions are that it might not be as easy as possible and that some patients might actually have copays which they don't want to pay or change their mind after they come home and think more about risks of screening. And additional confounder is COVID-19 pandemic. Unfortunately, COVID-19 pandemic started in the middle of our pre-implementation phase. So there were times when actually no elective procedures were performed. So we hope that um, now when pandemic is um, almost over, the follow-through rates will increase. And um, we plan to do some research in the future uh, to interview patients to see what what is really going on. And I think what can help is additional support such as lung cancer screening coordinator. I think we already have uh, one, but on low FTE, so more more support and uh, better scheduling would definitely help. Yeah, it seems to definitely be a knife that cuts both ways because one could argue that your um, intervention quadrupled um, uh, everything by four, you know, uh, the orders as well as the screening. But at the same time, the numbers are so low, um, uh, is it actually making a meaningful impact? Maybe you could comment on, um, you had mentioned earlier that uh, a lot of physicians are um, overburdened. Uh, There's a lot of work that they need to do, especially with complicated elderly patients. Uh, how much do you think that factored in, as well as the so-called fatigue alarm? Um, if you get another prompt to do another test, uh, how would that affect a clinician's ability to actually follow through and do something that is as necessary as lung cancer screening to prevent a lung cancer death? Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Both uh, working with elderly patient and lack of time, uh, very important uh, barriers for screening. And I also agree that... Uh, Screening quarter patient is a quarter of a patient is not as impressive as uh, screening almost everyone. I think we are still in the very beginning of um, lung cancer screening programs in the country, and uh, maybe in five ten years we will actually have uh, see much higher rates of um, screening completion. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you, Paulina. Um, so as you had initially said, uh, the shared decision-making um, was created by the um, – uh, is required by um, a CMS. Mm-hmm. Some would argue that maybe it's an additional barrier that's preventing folks from uh, getting l- necessary lung cancer screening. What oh, would absolutely. you say yeah, to there that? There are two camps. Yeah, I would say that there are two camps. Uh, one camp believes that it is a barrier which needs to be eliminated, but another camp believes that there is not enough involvement of the patient, patients in general in uh, healthcare, and that the patients should have more say, and that healthcare should turn into patient-centered healthcare, where patients uh, ask their opinion as far as their health literacy allows. And uh, we here at the Major Nature are proponents of the second approach, obviously. And we think that um, maybe taking provider 
um, kind of out of this equation can help and working directly with patients. So we are doing a follow-up study now where we are sending letters directly to patients through electronic health record at uh, University of Utah Health and NYU. And we ask patients to improve their smoking history data in the electronic health record. And we are sending them a video to learn more about lung cancer screening. So I think this approach will allow actually to save time for overburdened clinicians while still maintaining this patient-centered approach for lung cancer screening. That's uh, really fascinating, um, and you do raise this issue of whether clinicians, I mean, it, it seems as though in order for the patient to get a, a low-dose CT, they better go through a physician, and we know that there's a great physician shortage. Um, what role do you think uh, nurse practitioners or advanced uh, uh, PAs uh, will play, um, or even uh, nurse navigators um, in ensuring uh, low-dose uh, cancer screening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is um approach which works well in um, some organizations, especially if these organizations are more centralized, like, for example, VA. The previous study in VA or Veterans Administration have used a more centralized approach where uh, staff members were trained to provide shared decision-making to patients. And um, it worked pretty well. But I think it can limit access to healthcare because not everyone um, is enrolled in these organizations such as VA. And uh, some patients really just want to have all their care through their PCP or primary care provider. So I think both centralized approach where um, trained staff members can help with their uh, decision-making for lung cancer screening as well as decentralized approach where PCPs have all the tools they need to provide shared decision-making. Both of these approaches should be used, as well as a third approach of reaching to patients directly um, and keeping uh, PCPs in the loop so that patients have all the information already and then um, they already have kind of a decision in their head when they come to PCP and they can say that, yes, I want... um, I want lung cancer screening. That this answer your question? Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good response. Uh, it basically targets all three possibilities because, as I think you alluded to, um, some patients really trust their primary care providers and they don't want to go for a testing that they don't need. And um, sometimes if they go to a different institution, they may feel that they're getting pushed to do testing and uh, further investigations that aren't actually required, and they'd rather just stick with their PCP who knows both their social situation as well as their mm-hmm. means and what's in their best interest. So I think you raise a really important issue, but at the same time, um, the, the PCPs are overburdened themselves, and they sometimes have to retire or uh, go to another place, and then the patient has no PCP, so that's a pretty tricky uh, situation. Um, yeah, I agree. So how would you say that your study advances the clinical practice of lung cancer screening? What uh, take-home messages do you want our audience to have on uh, how beneficial your study is and uh, mm-hmm. what future studies are needed? So I think our study has showed that using clinical decision support tools can uh, dramatically improve rates of lung cancer screening while not 
yet bringing them to 100%. That's a great first step. And I think uh, many healthcare organizations should think about implementing these tools. And I am happy to report that we have secured follow-up funding from HRQ until year 2025 to support implementation of our decision precision tool in other healthcare systems. So if uh, the listeners are interested, please contact us. We already have um, several reputable systems working with us to implement this tool in their systems, uh, such as New York University Langone Health and UMass and Altru systems. So please don't hesitate to contact us. And we are also conducting um, next next phase of this um, trial, as I mentioned, which is more patient-centered. So I think future research should focus on a um, multi-channel approach to lung cancer screening, where we are trying to reach patients in all the ways we can think of, including marketing and PCPs and centralized uh, population health approaches. Well, firstly, congratulations on your additional funding, and uh, we're definitely going to be looking out for your future work that comes out. Do you think it's ever going to be possible that we get above 60, 70, 80% lung cancer screening, um, or are we just never going to get there, and uh, we're just going to have to work with incidental lung nodules? Well, I think absolutely we will. Um, next year, this new lung cancer screening HIDIS measure is going to come out, which I think will help to boost lung cancer screening and uh, adoption of clinical decision support tools is just starting. So I think once uh, CDS tools and quality measures are in place, we will see a huge increase in adoption in the next probably three to five years. And maybe you could share with us what those quality measures would be. Um, in the past, we've had quality measures, which uh, um, sometimes had adverse effects, actually impaired patient care. Um, if you're familiar, maybe you could share with us what those quality measures could involve and uh, how hospitals, institutions could uh, meet that requirement. Well, NCQA is uh, working on the measures, so I think... I, I shouldn't sh share a lot of details, but uh, the information is available on their website. I think the measures are still not finalized. They are planning to finalize them by December. And I think there are discussions about um, whether shared decision-making should be part of those measures or not. Um, so, so it's hard to say how they will look. Um, as far as negative effects of um, quality measures, I agree that's possible, uh, but I also think overall the quality measures had a great effect in standardizing the healthcare across the United States. So there is definitely a room for improvement um, in terms of judging uh, physician performance based on quality measures, which sometimes can push um, things in the wrong directions, right? Whatever you measure is improving. And if you're not measuring the correct um, thing, then um, the improvements can be in the wrong places. Yeah, we definitely will have to watch that. And um, hopefully they do get that measure uh, correct. Polina, you've been very gracious with your time and really applaud you and your team for this publication that came out in CHAST. Do 
you want to leave our audience with any concluding remarks? Um, I just want to say thank you for um, conducting this um, podcast. I am super excited to be a part of this podcast and Reimagine HR will continue to innovate in this and other use cases. You did a fantastic job, and uh, again, uh, kudos to you and your team for uh, working on this very important work, which needs to be done because we need more patients to undergo lung cancer screening. I think you did a fantastic job um, identifying the barriers and what a lot of folks need to work on. So to everyone, a very big thank you to uh, Dr. Kukariva for a great conversation, and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a chess podcast.